This is Crossroads, a Get Religion podcast. Most of us have known for, what, two decades that the Internet is a dangerous place for children. It takes those ideas time to filter up to state houses and to governor's mansions. And it is beginning to do that right now. Two headlines, one from the New York Times, states push to protect kids online, could remake the Internet. That's from the New York Times. Then Axios has this one. Pornhub blocks access in Utah in protest of new age verification law. Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is senior fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, and he's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate in the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. What's really going on in these big tech clashes that we read about all the time, and does it have anything to do with religion? Okay, let's take the second part of that equation first. When I say the word Utah to you, what's the first thing that jumps into your head other maybe than skiing? Well, probably Mormons. Okay. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints certainly would be among the very first thing to pop into the head of most Americans if they hear about a battle, especially over a moral and cultural issue in Utah. Now, this next question is a little bit more complicated. When I say the word Louisiana to you, and you think about culture, morality, religion, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I think about New Orleans first. Right. It's really interesting. I mean, it's not like Nolens doesn't have any sort of reputation for moral debauchery, strip clubs, etc. It's a state that knows something about that. The other thing, though, think back over the last couple of years of our conversations. There's another factor in Louisiana, though, and it's more than Catholics. It's a heavily Catholic state. But one of the unique things about Louisiana is the presence of a coalition that includes conservative Republicans and conservative Democrats. And those Democrats, many of them are pro-life Democrats, are both from the Catholic Church and from various African-American church traditions. And that's turned into a very powerful political and cultural coalition in Louisiana. And so sometimes things that may happen in other Bible Belt states or other states that we would call red states on the American political map, we tend to see cases now coming up that go to courts coming out of Louisiana. And of course, Utah has been at the center of a lot of church-state fights for a long time. So the second part of that is that what makes these stories inherently religious to me is not just the fact that these are battles over trying to protect children, parental rights, morality, sexuality, etc. I would also argue, and this is kind of cutting to the end of the whole process for me, what we're seeing in these cases 
is the ironclad fact that Christian organizations and parents cannot expect the state to be able to do their job for them. You can expect the state to maybe be sympathetic to you. You can expect the state perhaps to help, but every day that goes by, it becomes more apparent that churches at some point are going to have to wake up and address the digital world, the world of screen culture, in their churches, in their seminaries, in their colleges, etc., and that they're going to have to help parents over and over and over deal with these issues in their homes because they're not going to go away. And that brings us back here to what Utah did, what one of the the wildest parts of the Wild West of online pornography, which is Pornhub. And I would also say that this is linked to another story that we've talked about. And that is what the columnist David French has referred to as a form of economic civil war. So while people may not see the connection, think back a couple of years ago when some states tried to pass laws protecting the rights of, for lack of a better term, DNA females to have some privacy in bathrooms, the bathroom wars, you know, shower wars that we had a couple of years ago. That quickly developed an economic component, primarily linked to sports, when two major powerful organizations in American life, the NCAA and ESPN and a lot of other sports networks decided to go to war on behalf of what they perceive to be the LGBTQ community. It's, things have gotten more complex. There's a lot of tensions now between the LGB and the T part of that component on a lot of these issues. The, the left isn't as unified anymore if the word left applies. But I wanted to start off by reading the very first part of the important David French book called Divided We Fall, America's Secession Threat and How to Restore Our Nation. It's a book basically defending the concept of federalism, that we're supposed to be able to have individual states take actions that not every single state in the Union has to agree with, as long as those actions are deemed to be constitutional. There's no need that California has to have the same laws as Utah, that Louisiana has to have the same laws as New York. So anyway, here's the, the riveting opening of this book. It's time for Americans to wake up to a fundamental reality. The continued unity of the United States of America cannot be guaranteed. At this moment in history, there is not a single important cultural, religious, political, or social force that is pulling Americans together more than it's pushing us apart. Now, later in the book, he goes on to make it clear that economic forces are also very much at play. You have to try to contemplate what would happen if a corporation such as Apple or Google or Amazon 
decided to cut a state off because it did something on an issue like abortion or school choice or parental rights or something with which Apple, Amazon, Google, and the rest of big tech disagrees. What would happen if all of a sudden every iPhone and every Mac computer in the state of Louisiana was deemed to no longer be functional by Apple? Would that have an impact on Louisiana life and commerce? Of course it would. So this is where David French begins to use the term civil war, not in a sense that has to do with rifles and bullets and bulletproof vests and nuclear armaments being located in red states rather than blue states. He, he gets into that a little bit, but he primarily thinks we're heading for an economic civil war that is linked to a legal civil war. And at the center of those civil wars are issues like this one, attempting to protect children in the world of cyberspace. And basically, we're heading into some court cases in which we're going to face the issue of is something, let me do it, put it in a simple image for our listeners. We have laws all over America about analog strip clubs. And when I use the word analog, I mean real life at a street address with a front door. And when you come to the front door, you have to take out your driver's license and show them that you have a legal right to go through those doors and go in and consume what the state has defined as adult-only material. Now, the question is, and of course we all know the answer to this, okay, if you could do that with an analog strip club, how do you do it with a digital strip club? And that's where courts are going to have to get involved, and we're beginning to see in Utah and Louisiana and a number of other states attempts to find out how do you get someone to have to stop at the door of the digital strip club and show a driver's license or some other state-approved method of identification to prove their age. And yes, I know that people have been creating fake driver's license and fake IDs for years. That issue isn't going to go away. But essentially, this is the issue. Can American conservatives, and I'm, I'm presuming conservative there in a more of a religious and cultural sense, can they do anything to control access to the doors into adult-only sections of the Internet? So there's the two halves of that equation answered for you. What did you make of the New York Times treatment of this by Natasha Singer? Well, the Louisiana law is really interesting. And once again, what you have going on there, this stage in Louisiana, because Democrats are cooperating with the conservative efforts in legislation, or at least significant numbers of Democrats are cooperating. I thought it was a pretty good story. It treated this strictly as a parental rights issue. And it got to the end, and what I thought was most fascinating was the ACLU basically views attempts to make 
adults step through that digital door with an ID, they see that as a threat to all access of adults to all of the internet or that somehow kind of civil rights on the internet will somehow be limited. I also think it's fascinating. I'd love to know more about what is the content that they're afraid children will lose constitutional protected access to that would be stopped by a law affecting pornography sites. Now, I know the difficulty because I, years ago when I was on a faculty representative on the Internet Security Committee at Palm Beach Atlantic University, a Baptist heritage school in South Florida, I was on that committee for a year. And trust me, I know how complex it is. We wanted to try to set up some security gates on our campus internet to protect students and faculty and whatever, and to lessen access to pornography and other forms of problematic materials. The problem is how do you do that in a way that does not hinder pre-med students from having access to just to cite an obvious example, websites about breast cancer and other forms of medical procedures involving female or male anatomy for that matter. How do you put that into a search engine in a way? So I can understand the ACLU might be thinking, well, you, know, you ban based on certain types of content, but what do you do with constitutionally protected discussions, information, and images related to some of those same quote-unquote topics. So I hope the New York Times continues coverage on this. I thought it was a pretty strong story, but like always, I know listeners know what I'm going to say. There's clearly a moral and religious component to this happening in states like Louisiana and Utah, and when it says conservative states or even Bible Belt states. Why not go ahead and talk to some religious leaders and ask them what they think of these efforts and what their religious organizations would do to attempt to cooperate with efforts to pass these, defend these in courts, etc. Because you know that at some point the church-state lobby on both the left and the right is going to become in involved in these court cases. It's going to happen. Terry, what did you make of Axios? I know you always say Axios is all about the links. They did get both sides of the story here. I think they were even talking to people who are advocates of what they call online sex-safe places or something of that nature. Yeah. Well, as, as always, that's a good source of information for people who want to click on to the next level. So I would thank them for that. It wasn't the deepest report. I think what you see in that Axios story, that short Axios story, is the reality that this is a story that's just getting started. And I think to some degree people were surprised that Pornhub officials took on Utah when they didn't take the same tactic toward Louisiana. Now, we could have a laugh track at this point and have canned laughter in the background saying, well, you think there's like maybe some difference 
in the pornography market size in Louisiana versus Utah. We can get into stereotypes and whatever. But the key is if people look at this Axios story, and I'll, I'll put a link to that when we put a post up with this discussion when it gets up on Get Religion, you will quickly see that this is really early in the fight. And like Louisiana actually helped support the creation of a kind of digital wallet software that allows adults to create a digital wallet and then access even Pornhub. And I want to repeat again, Pornhub is not just a normal porn site. This is really in that never, never land between regular pornography and the complete illegal dark web. Pornhub has been the site at the heart of a lot of battles over involuntary porn, revenge porn, people putting stuff up online of their ex-wives and girlfriends. It's been at the heart of battles over rape porn, which is exactly what it sounds like, and illegal child porn. To what degree can you clean up Pornhub? And then behind Pornhub, of course, is the true dark web. So everything that's in that Axios report and the, the creations of these new technologies, to me, ultimately point to the reality that you can make progress, but there is no way to close the door of the internet, ultimately. And it's that reality, which I would say is a reality that really, we almost have to think about it in theological terms. The same internet that makes it possible to put up a seminary, online seminary program for the underground church in China, and maybe even create backdoor software that would allow seminarians in the underground church to use theological material from their own churches in other parts of the world. That's the exact same issue at the level of bytes of information and programming as the struggle to stop backdoors on issues related to the most evil of all content in the dark web and into controversial sites like Pornhub. So this brings me back to a subject that we talk about here often, the subject of my Issues Etc. conference talk long ago, and that was what should the church be doing? For example, in this case, should the church be openly going to battle to help pass these laws? I'd love to hear a good debate for that, but personally, to me, the answer has to be yes. If it's in your theological tradition to support parental rights and to support the protection of children, why shouldn't religious groups be getting involved in this particular political fight, which then leads, and gosh, do we hear echoes of the Disney Wars, that then leads us to the issue of the church getting involved in fights with corporations that are actively involved in activities that we believe are undercutting 
the safety of children and the mental health, I would argue, of adults. So you raise the specter, but what does happen if these laws fail? Well, okay, a stronger version of what happens if they pass, and that is that if they pass, you've set up maybe not an ironclad door, but at least a solid glass or screen door that people have to go through. And that means, well, okay, Todd, let me ask you a question as a pastor. Whenever you talk to your people about computers and maybe computer security, what's one of the first things that you hear parents say about trying to make progress on this, you know, in their struggles with their children? What's one of the first things they say? Well, I think it would be that the screen time can't be avoided entirely. It's too much a part of everything that the kids are doing. That'd be the right. first thing they mentioned. And so you can't watch them all the time. And then they're immediately going to say, okay, look, let's be real. Whenever I have problems with my computer, I have to ask my teenager for help to handle the technology. If something goes wrong with my smartphone, I have to turn to my kids because they understand this stuff better than I do. And lurking in the background there is, okay, let's be real. Our kids know more about the internet than we do. They're going to find a way to get around this stuff. And this is where I think a lot of church leaders and parents are kind of throwing their hands up in the air and giving up. And I don't think that's the right solution. And at this point, we've moved beyond journalism, and we're now talking about the realities of church life and seminary life and the fact that, to my knowledge, we still don't have a single seminary in America where future pastors have to take a class on the role that mass media and screen culture plays in the daily lives of the people to whom they're trying to minister. So if the law passes, parents have some help, but they know that there are going to be back doors created and that some children, if highly motivated, will find the back doors and that evil people will find the back doors to try to lure children in. Okay, if they don't pass, we're where we are right now. And I think this is a huge religion news story, and I say that as a journalist, the church member, parent, and grandparent in me says this is the same issue we've been ignoring for approximately a third of a century, or certainly since the launching of the Internet in, gosh, that's getting close to a third of a century, isn't it? Okay, so my point is churches have to wake up. And at some point, they're going to have to offer parents help. Otherwise, what's the point of even trying? Do we expect public schools to help parents with this? We expect public libraries and other places where tax dollars are involved. If churches aren't going to get active on this topic, where can parents go for help? So I want to come back to something you mentioned a moment ago, and that is, kind of corporate church yeah. involvement with the companies themselves or interacting with the laws, but maybe even interacting with the companies. 
what is that actually going to look like and how should let's say a denomination prepare itself to answer press inquiries when they start something like this when the southern baptist convention passes yeah. a resolution about something about Pornhub or about any of those things how should they prepare themselves or if they attempt to actually take action at the level of psychologists and let me give you an example because this affects my alma mater baylor which is in the big 12 and byu will soon be in the big 12 and when there was an attempt years earlier to put byu in the big 12 gay rights activists immediately went to war because BYU has an actual doctrinal covenant and limits on the behavior of students who attend there. Okay, so just like the government of North Carolina had to say, okay, if we pass this bathroom bill, we could lose the final four. Basketball is pretty big in North Carolina. Have you heard of Duke? You've heard of Chapel Hill? That's a big economic and financial club to hit a state with. Well, what if at some point in the pornography wars or the Pornhub wars, what if, this is where David French's book is so important for our people to read, what if at that point major corporations get involved in punishing states? For passing these laws. Punishing states for backing laws that are backed by some of the more powerful churches and religious groups. Black churches, Catholic churches in Louisiana, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah. What happens when we have another one of those conflicts between a corporation like Disney and religious groups? Do religious groups want to go there? And if so, do they have intestinal fortitude to stay in that battle? But my children want to go to Disney World. Or does that mean I can't watch The Mandalorian on Disney Plus? All of a sudden, we're wrestling with the power of screen culture. And that's a topic our churches don't want to discuss. And they're going to have to. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, and he's author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at GetReligion.org.